Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good. It's great to see all of you here. So glad that you're with us today. Uh, excited about this. Excited about our Christmas uh, services are going to be amazing. You don't want to miss them. Make sure you spread the word. Come and be here with your family. And uh, for all of you that are with us online, you'll enjoy uh, our online services and also the uh, very special stuff. We've got an incredible, incredible speaker uh, that we have planned. Something really special for Christmas morning and then a really incredible speaker for our New Year's uh, morning. And then we're kicking off on the 8th. It's going to be amazing. The 8th uh, is our first live Sunday of the year. It's going to be fantastic. You don't want to miss it. Got lots of big stuff coming for 2023. Are you ready? All right, all right, let's pray, let's jump in. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. God, we love you, we're so grateful. We give you praise and glory and honor, and we just ask you that you would speak to us today. Uh, we're here to experience you, to hear your voice and to receive from you. Father, release your word to us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you. We're continuing the series called The Greatest Gift. Uh, this is our third week of that series. If you've missed any of them, you can go back and watch them online, oakschurch.com, be a part of that. And there's lots of great material to catch up on there. Uh, we've talked about how this Christmas that we celebrate didn't actually start at the manger. The whole Christmas promise was a 4,000-year promise that started in the Garden of Eden. When mankind fell into sin, God made a promise to save mankind using a child that would be born uh, through a miraculous way. And so we see the virgin birth prophesied even in the garden, 4,000 years of God's faithfulness to bring that together and to bring that to pass. And we're celebrating that now another 2,000 years after. After 6,000 years, did you, can, you, can you wrap your brain around that? It's just 6,000 years since the Garden of Eden. 6,000 years. It's actually every generation is traced inside of your Bible. You, you know what you can't trace inside of your Bible? Hundreds of millions of years of evolution. <laughs> You know, and there's actually no scientific proof for it, and there's no history proof of it. Uh, it there's, there's some pretty radical stuff there. But, but in fact, the whole concept is that's a faith-based religion as well. And, and we have one that has God as the center of it all, and it makes a heck of a lot more sense. Uh, now, we don't know, and you look at the Bible, before the Garden of Eden, there, there's, there's countless times. It says the earth became uh, formless and void. We don't know this, the period of time before that, but we know the amount of time from the Garden of Eden, and you can trace the history of man all the way through the lineage. Literally in the Bible, it traces from Mary's family, it traces from Adam and Eve in the Garden all the way up to Mary who would give birth to Jesus. Uh, one of the most incredible things uh, we see is the accuracy of Scripture. I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes today about um, specifically being picked for the promise. Picked for the promise. So many different people inside of this story, so many different characters that are a part of this Christmas story. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how God picks different people. Do you remember being picked when you were a kid? Uh, I think back uh, to front yard sports or playground sports, and depending on the different sport would determine whether I was picked early or whether I was picked late. If we were playing basketball, I might be the last one picked. If we're playing kickball, man, these thick little nine-year-old thighs could 
punt a ball so darn far, man. I was always picked first for kickball, man. I could mash that sucker. Uh, but one of my favorite, I remember kindergarten, I just met my new uh, and future best friend, man, Tyler Roberts. We were best buddies from kindergarten on. And I remember one of the first day of kindergarten, we're out on the playground, and they introduced us to a new game we'd never seen before called Red Rover. Do you remember Red Rover? Oh my gosh, Red Rover, Red Rover, let Stephanie come over. Stephanie had no idea me and Tyler Roberts about to clothesline her, pow! I mean, it was serious business. We were like like Roman soldiers, man, phalanxed together. We weren't, weren't letting nobody through uh, the Red Rover line, but, but everybody got picked in Red Rover, right? At some point in time, you got picked and hopefully you picked the right place to try to run through the line or you're gonna be on your back, I'll tell you what. Uh, but that, that's the feeling of being picked is something that all of us can relate to. And moving into our adult life, there are times that we don't get picked. You ever, you ever really wanted a promotion and didn't get picked? I can't tell you how many times I got overlooked for certain things, certain times of, of my career. There were so many times that I really wanted something to happen, and for whatever reason, I just didn't get picked. And it doesn't feel good to not get picked. But sometimes you get picked and you don't want to get picked. You ever got picked for something you didn't want? Yeah. It's called Christianity. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. Come on. God will pick you for stuff that you didn't necessarily want to get picked for. I was sitting around uh, talking with a friend the other day. And it was a friend who had lost a child uh, to a tragic accident. And he was talking about how now... He has a ministry that anyone, and I can relate to this, that goes through some type of a tragedy, he gets the phone call. And we were talking, I said, I, I can relate, I understand that feeling. It's the ministry that you got picked for that you never wanted to walk people through some of the darkest times of their life. But it's something that, that this is where we are and this is our life and this is what we do. And so we see in this Christmas story that there are people that got picked that, that maybe on some, in some different measures wouldn't have been the ones that would have been picked in different circumstances. Let's look at this. This is Luke chapter two, verse one. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. I wanna take a moment and I wanna point out for just a second. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but we live in an anti-Christ world. Um, the Bible talks a lot about anti-Christ. Uh, we can be mistaken and think it's just one person. The Bible says there have been many antichrists and there will be many more antichrists. There is one that is going to fit the bill and actually be the official antichrist that begins the tribulation, all the different things around the end times. But there's a spirit that's released that is against Christ. It's against Jesus. It's against the mission of God and, the, and specifically the call of God in the earth and what God wants to accomplish in the earth. It's an antichrist spirit. And there's a reason why Christianity is the only Christi is the only religion that really gets persecuted uh, inside of, of American culture. Almost any other religion gets to do pretty much whatever they want, but Christians are, are regulated all the time. We're, we're silenced all the time. We're boycotted all the time. And so there's, there's no, no, one's, no one's going against and having all kinds of different uh, anti-Ramadan or anti-this or that. All the other religions have their holidays. Only Christmas is the one. Only Easter is the one. It's only Christian holidays that get persecuted inside of our nation. There is an anti-Christ movement. So when someone says happy holidays, you say Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas. It's about Jesus. The whole thing's about Jesus. And we'll never back down from that. We won't be shy about that. It's important. But in this specific story, I want you to recognize this, that, that Luke was a doctor, he was a historian, he was, he was a scholar, and Luke wrote one of the greatest historical documents on the planet today. Any serious historian that is uh, an expert in ancient uh, literary works has to admit that Luke's piece here in the Bible is one of the greatest, most accurate pieces of history that connects the dots throughout that entire era that no one can take anything away from. It doesn't matter if they believe God or don't believe God. This is one of the greatest works. In fact, your New Testament, don't know if you know this or not, but scientifically speaking, your New Testament is the most accurate ancient document on the planet. When they put it through all of the scruples to measure it against different things as far as accuracy and how it was preserved and all of those different things, the most, the most accurate ancient literary document on the planet is your New Testament Bible. And specifically, the book of Luke is, is in, held in the highest regard. And so we see that he is recording a historical uh, picture of something that happened in ancient history that can be corroborated, and it ties into the story uh, that we have at this first Christmas. So Joseph, it says, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there were no guest rooms available for them." And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising uh, God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Then the angel uh, has left them, the angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said, come, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all that heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And then the story goes on that uh, another 38 days, or pardon me, 32 days later, Jesus was brought to the temple there in Jerusalem, and he was presented there, and they gave the tithe for Jesus's life. Two turtle doves or two pigeons was the tithe that was to be given to redeem the life of Jesus Christ. In the Jewish culture, and it's something that's passed on to our Christian culture, the tithe is something that redeems portions of your life. Tithing redeems your financial life, and even Jesus was tithed for because he was the firstborn son of their family. Uh, it goes on to say in the story 
that there were two people that received him in the temple. One of them was a man named Simeon, who was an was a older man. He was well in age, but he was promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And when he sees Jesus, he begins to prophesy and worship uh, Jesus because he had finally seen the Messiah and he was ready to go home to heaven. Another prophetess was there. Her name was Anna. And she was 84 years old. Same thing. She begins to prophesy about the Messiah. And she'd been literally in the temple praying every single day since her husband had died about 60-something years before. And so we see all of these different characters we see uh, people in their 80s. We see shepherds. We see a 15-year-old uh, pregnant mom, 16-year-old pregnant mom. Uh, we see uh, 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 Joseph, who uh, all of these people, if you think these are the people God picked for this story, but when you actually look at it, none of them were people that necessarily had much influence. They weren't people that you would have picked out to be super influential or make a great big difference or do something, do anything of, of, of any specific grandiose. Shepherds in this culture were the lowest of the low inside of the culture. They were, they were the bottom of the barrel. They weren't, the, they weren't technicians. They weren't highly skilled at certain different things. In fact, there's a reason that David uh, talks about his experience as a shepherd and how he was, uh, he was basically cast out by his brothers. If you look at the traditional story inside of the Jewish um, uh, history and belief system, Jesse, David's dad, believed that David was not an, a legitimate son. He believed that his mother had kind of stepped out on him and that it was a, 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 an illegitimate son, and so he was never treated like he was one of the family. That's why whenever Samuel the prophet came and said, show me all your sons, David wasn't even invited. He was forced to be uh, specifically a shepherd and according to the Jewish tradition, it was because they had hoped that an animal would come and kill him. The one that God had picked was rejected by his own father because of a lie that he believed it wasn't true whatsoever. So you see that now in this culture, the Bedouins that live in the wilderness that were taking care of the sheep, they were the lowest of the, they had the least experience, they had the least influence, they had the least voice in culture, yet they were picked to be the first preachers of the coming Messiah. They were the first ones to go and spread the word that Jesus had arrived. So God picks the lowest of the low to be the very first and given the greatest honor. He picks a 15-year-old girl to carry the Messiah. Can I tell you, a 15-year-old girl has no influence anywhere except on TikTok. Social media didn't exist back then. No one listens to teenage girls unless you're on a social media platform. Then you have power. Joseph, it says he was a carpenter. The actual term uh, in that culture would have meant that he was kind of just, a, a, just a, a handyman. He wasn't necessarily even like a super-duper skilled craftsman. The only good thing that Jesus' family line had for it was that they were somehow connected through distant relatives to the king, David. But they didn't have any influence or namesake or power of their own. They were just distant relatives of a wonderful bloodline. I don't know if you've done any of the bloodline stuff, the chromosomes and 23andMe and whatever, all the different stuff. I don't do it because I don't want the government to know about me, but I'm just playing around. <laughs> just, that's, but but I, we had a friend that was talking and they did the husband and wife and, you know, she was like related to Elvis and, and you know, Abraham Lincoln and all these different famous people and he was related to like 
homeless people or whatever. I, I mean, I don't know. They, he, it was, she was like fancy and he was not. And it was just one of those funny little things of tracking through their history. But the only thing that, that, that specifically Joseph and, and Mary had was a, a historical bloodline. They didn't have influence in any other way. In, in the same way, Simeon and Anna didn't have influence. They were in the temple praying all the time. No one's listening to them. They're just in the temple praying. Yet God picked these people. See, we, we have as humans, we love an underdog story. Can I tell you that God loves the underdog? He, he, all through scripture, he picks these underdogs, right? We love underdog stories. We, we love like the story of Rudy, right? Rudy Rudiger, right? The, the guy I got to meet Rudy. I was a speaker, a keynote speaker at a corporate event. And, and Rudy and I were speakers together. I got to hang out with the real Rudy. I got to, I got to listen to his stories. And, and to, to meet the guy, he's, very, he's a very simple man. And he's just, he's just simple, but he's determined. He's as determined as anybody I've ever seen. He just believed. And so his entire life, he believed he was going to play football, football for Notre Dame. Well, there's no stinking way you're playing football for Notre Dame. But he had, and I literally, I have a helmet at my house, a golden helmet at my house from Notre Dame, signed by Rudy Rudiger. He literally wrote out the play. He drew the play on it. He signed it. And it said, 30 years for 30 seconds is what it said. 30 years he prepared for 30 seconds on the field. And, and that, we love that story. But you know who loves that story more than anybody? Rudy. He spent the next 30 years getting, trying to get movies made about him. Nobody would listen. Nobody would finally, he literally, he, I mean, he's traveling to Hollywood. He's doing everything, selling his own story. I said, Rudy, what's the most important thing that anyone can do in their life? He said, believe in yourself and just walks off. <laughs> That's it. Not the best with social graces. But, but we love these kind of stories. We, we love the story of uh, the 1980 Olympic hockey team for the USA and the, the movie The Miracle where they beat the Soviet Union. They were never supposed to even be on the same ice with this, this team. They were supposed to never be in the finals. They should have never made it that far. We love an underdog story. I mean, how many Rocky movies are there? 5,000? I don't know. But Sylvester Stallone literally was down and out. He's trying to get a break in Hollywood. He writes the script for, for Rocky. He's so broke, he has to sell his dog. Finally, he gets a break and they're like, we, we want the movie, but we don't want you. He said, no, I am the movie. I, I'm, I'm playing Rocky. He goes, you don't even have to pay me. Just put me, if the movie makes any money, put me in there somewhere and I'll get my percent at the end. But I'm Rocky. And here we have, now it's one of the highest grossing whatever he's made a... A whole lot, of, whole lot of, I think he bought his dog back is actually the part of the story that I heard. But God picks underdogs all through scripture. He picks people that had all kinds of issues. Do you ever think that maybe when God picked you, he made a mistake? I felt that way a lot. I, I, you know, I, I mean, I was, when people were picking teams, no one picked me for doing anything scholastic. No one picked me for doing anything academic. And now it's my job to study and learn and come up with stuff and sit. And I'm supposed to speak. And there are people sitting all through this room that are way smarter than me. But he picks me to go and dig up this information and hear from him and be, the, be his spokesperson. Man, he picked wrong on my book. He should have picked someone else. You know who else said that? Moses. Moses literally said, Please, in the Bible, please pick somebody else, anybody else, just not me. But God picked you. God picked you. In fact, I got inspired along this idea, and I began to look at the odds of you actually being on the planet. And when I started looking up odds, 
And I'm looking up, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking up, you know, it's, this is human life, right? This is pro-life type stuff. I'm looking up all this stuff, and all of a sudden I realize I'm on a, I'm on a gambling website. Online gambling. It's my first time to be on there. I made 50 bucks. I'm just kidding. I didn't play. I didn't play. But it literally on this online gambling site, for whatever reason, it said something about online Bible. So my Bible search got mixed into some kind of Vegas website or whatever. And, and next thing you know, they've got this whole thing that they had taken their Vegas expert statisticians and, and they, they tracked out all of the odds and all of the math to figure out the likelihood of you actually making it to the planet. It was unbelievable. Vegas people figuring out that just for you and your, your family to be here, they did the odds on your mom and your dad of all the different people that they would have a chance to meet in their lifetime, of them actually going on a meeting and then going on a first date, and then the odds of them actually liking each other enough to go on a second date, and then the odds of them actually liking each other enough to stick around and make it through three months, and then the odds of them actually moving into a relationship where they wanted to move forward and actually stay together, and then the odds of them actually, and then it gets into the odds of, of, of what it takes when there's literally a trillion seeds inside of a man's body and a hundred thousand eggs inside of a woman's body, and one of one trillion and one of 100 come together and actually made you? And then they trace the odds back to every single generation before you in your family because your DNA didn't come from just your parents. It was all the odds of all those husbands and wives all the way back. And when they got to the end of it, the odds of you actually being on the planet according to Vegas. There's so many zeros behind this. It's literally one out of 10 to over the two millionth power. That's how unlikely it is that you'd be on the planet. That's how special you are. In fact, when they said, this is the illustration they made. If you take the entire population of San Diego, two million people, you give them each one die. Vegas, you gotta roll the dice, right? So, so in the die, it doesn't have six sides. It's got one trillion sides. And all two million of those San Diegans roll their die at the same time, and all two million of those die land on the exact same number from one to one trillion, and all of them on the same number, 555 billion, 637 million, 300,000, and blah, 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 all the way down to the exact number, that's the odds of you being on the planet. Thank you, Las Vegas. You're a miracle. If you're on the planet, it's because he picked you. That's why we're a pro-life church. Because Jesus is the author of life. God is the author of life. Life only comes through him. Did you know that 500 babies are miscarried every year in America? That's horrible. That's horrible. That's how hard it is to get here. If the, if the egg actually does implant, it's fertilized and in plants. It's still only 11% chance that you make it through all the trimesters and actually make it here. Half a million miscarriages. You know what's worse? One million abortions a year. Babies that would have made it. Babies that God had picked. Babies that God had marked out for life. 
Oh, but Joel, what about the health of the mother? And, and what about the rape and incest? And what about this and that? Did you know that all those different things only, only add up to about 1% of all? That's 15,000 babies. So how about I give you those 15,000 and we save the other uh, 985, uh, not, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it's a minuscule, it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. We're talking about 15,000 instead of saving a million. Horrible that horrible things happen like that, but we're not the author of life. He is. Amen? And if this offends you, that's okay. I'm not here to make everybody happy. I'm here to preach the Bible. I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm here to challenge your way of thinking. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I do read my Bible a lot. I definitely pray a lot. Do I have things to learn? Absolutely. Absolutely. But one thing I know, God is life. God is life and all life comes from him. See, we have this idea that in order to do something great, you have to be strong. But God has this habit of picking the weak. In fact, it says that he, that he specifically picks the weak to confound the strong. He, 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 he specifically picks foolish things to confound the wise. In fact, it says that the foolishness of God confounds the wisdom of man and the weakness of God overcomes the strongness of man. The reality is that when you think you're your strongest in and of yourself, you're actually your weakest. Because when we're humans and we feel strong, we try to do it on our own. When we know we're weak, we ask God for help. So Paul said, I will now boast in my weakness. Paul, the apostle, got a revelation. I will boast in my weakness because I realize when I'm weak, then he is strong in me. His strength is perfected in my weakness. That's what the Apostle Paul came to understand. See, it's been times where I was the weakest in and of myself that God was able to do the craziest, greatest things through me because I was so weak, he was able to be strong. I was so in, uh, ineffective, he was able to be effective. Sometimes we just gotta get out of God's way and let God be God. I've heard it said that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God picked you. You're on this planet for a reason. You're in this church for a reason. You're in your family for a reason. You're not an accident. There's a purpose for your life. He picked you. He's got something special for you to do in your life. What's really cool to me is that inside of this idea, the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And there's actually a line of, of, of thought and teaching in the Bible that puts you in the position of being able to choose the level of being chosen that you so desire. In fact, in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul writes, he says, and he's speaking of in God's kingdom, and he says in a great house there are items of common use, plates and cups, and then there are vessels of honor. And it says that you have the ability, in 2 Timothy, it says that you have the ability to choose to be a vessel of honor. It's pretty interesting. So, so it's not just rando. It's, it's God does pick you. God has picked you. But then we get put in a position where we have a little bit of an opportunity to say, you know what, God, I, I, I accept that you chose me, and I choose not just to be a common vessel, I choose to be a vessel of honor. I, I, I want to really be used by you. A couple of weeks ago, I, 
I invited our church to join with me in a in a prayer commitment I was doing uh, to finish the year. I want to give you a, a wonderful report. We had uh, all the different people that came and wrote their names. Maybe you wrote and, and you committed to pray a certain number of hours before the end of the year. Almost a thousand hours of prayer committed by Oaks Church uh, people before the end of the year, starting a couple weeks ago. Praise God for that. That's amazing. Just spending time connecting into God. I, I want to tell you that it was a it was in a service like that. Um, probably back, I'm going to say in the year maybe 1998, a service like that where the pastor made a statement. He said, the amount of authority you have in God's kingdom is directly proportional to the amount of time you spend in prayer. And, and, and I'll never forget that quote. It struck me so hard. And, and, and I'm like, I, I, I don't want to be a weak believer. I want to be a strong believer, so I'm going to spend more time in prayer. And there was a challenge that just to, just to make a daily commitment. And so I, I made a commitment to pray for 15 minutes a day. And it was inside of that personal act of devotion that I began to spend an additional amount of time with God, that God began to move in me. God began to speak in me. It was two years later that I walked away from my business, walked away from my industry, and entered, in, and, and entered into the opportunity of be, being uh, in full-time ministry. Literally walked away from my career and took a path to be an intern, from being uh, the guy, owner of a business, writing checks and, and giving orders, to being an intern, cleaning out dirty refrigerators and selling candy out of broken candy machines. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a major life shift. But it, and some of you are like, man, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that at all. Well, hey, it turned out okay. 23 years later, it worked out okay. But the Lord had me bring everything in my life and put it on the altar. I don't know if, if you can relate to this, but I had seasons of my life, if I could just be really real, there were seasons of my life that everything I did was for me. It was my goals. It was my ambitions. It was my, it was my career. It was my whatever. And, and God brought me to a place of literally laying everything that was mine on the altar. In, a, in allowing him to shift and shape my life for the future. That was my road. That's not necessarily anybody else's road. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Every single one of us have a moment at the altar where you get to lay everything you have in your life. You get to put whatever you think is yours. Every one of us have those moments in our lives, but, but we all have different paths that we take and not everybody has my path and everyone has your path and God has a specific path for you. But what I was finding in that season is that I wanted to be a part of a group of people um, that, were, that were more committed to God than normal, to check me and to test me to see if I was fully committed or not. Interestingly, in that season, um, one of my mentors, and some of you in this room will know this gentleman, uh, one of my mentors was a, a man named Gordon Banks. Gordon Banks played for the Dallas Cowboys, played for the, the uh, New Orleans Saints. He played for Stanford. But Gordon grew up in Compton. Some of y'all know, maybe heard of Compton, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and all those guys. They come out of, you know, all that. It's Compton, California. It's a suburb of South Central L.A. He grew up, he grew up in the hood. His dad died before he was ever born. And he had a very godly mom. And, and she raised him to the best of her ability and raised him right according to her faith. And, 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 and he became a very faithful, faithful Christian um, and came out of Compton and got his high school thing and college scholarships and the whole whatever and had an incredible career. But the only father figures that Gordon Banks had were, were, were football coaches. And so Gordon's entire leadership um, uh, 
let me say, MO or the way that he would lead was like a football coach. So he was gonna yell, he was gonna slam the table, he, he was gonna shake stuff around, he might throw something. I mean, he was just, he, he was crazy about Jesus, but he was a football coach. And he was gonna get his point across one way or the other. And I remember being at a, being at a, a, a staff meeting one time, we we're sitting there and, and I'm sitting next to my friend Kevin and Jennifer's at the other end of the table and Pastor Gordon, he, man, he he's, goes off on something, he's like, this is not right. And he's slaying the table and this and that, whatever. And I'm telling you this. And he's just crazy passionate for Jesus, right? And he literally, this and that and whatever. And he grabs the cell phone and he slams it up against the wall. This is in church, this is out of church. And slam, and I'm talking, the cell phone explodes into a thousand pieces. And we're all just sitting there and Jennifer starts crying a little bit. And, 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 and Kevin goes, um, Pastor G, that was my cell phone. <laughs> so I mean, it's just, this is the passion that this leader had. Well, I remember as I'm coming into this thing and really feeling like I'm called to ministry, I had all of these different things. My business partner didn't want me to leave. He's like, no, Joel, you're my retirement plan. He goes, look, you want more money? You want more off time? You want more vacation time? He goes, you want a brand new Harley? I'll buy you a Harley, anyone you want. You can pick it, just don't leave me. And I remember, I should have been a better negotiator. I probably could have, you know, made out a little better if I did. But Gordon was like, well, maybe God doesn't want you to be in full-time ministry, Joel. Maybe he's just used this to sweeten the pot and you'll do better in business and whatever. And you can just volunteer. And, and I'm like, it's like, it seemed like every time I turned around, Gordon's trying to talk me out of answering the call of God. And that's what it felt like to me. But it's not what he was doing. He was just checking to see if I was really committed or not. How bad do you want this? Because if, if, if I can talk you out of it to go get that free Harley, then you should stay out of it. If it's, if, it and I listen, listen I, I've got friends, I've got one of my buddies, he's like, if people come to him, he's been in church, he's been a pastor for decades, and, and people come in and talk about wanting to plant a church. And his number one question every time is, can you fulfill God's purpose doing anything else? He says, because if you can, you should. Because if you're not really called to this stuff, it'll destroy you, it'll destroy your family. You better know that you know that you know this is the only way that you can please God and really fulfill the call of God in your life or you shouldn't do it at all. So they were trying to talk me out of it, not for the sake of talking me out of it, but to find out, are you really, really fully committed? And I had to push through and I found out that I was. And, and, and I, I routinely think, you know, if, if things were different and all of a sudden, you know, I, I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, by, by golly, I, I tried, man. I spent $2 and I bought that lottery ticket and I didn't win. It's $2 billion. I was just thinking what I could do for Jesus, you know? But, but my whole thing is if I ever did win something like that, I'm not gonna stop being a pastor. I'll just vacation better, for crying out loud. I might have an island, but I'm still staying here with you. I ain't going nowhere. This is what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, he wants me to keep walking by faith so he won't let me win anyway. It was just two bucks. It was two bucks, okay? For crying out loud. <laughs> Are you fully committed? Now, what's funny about this message is that I wrote this message and turned everything in on Thursday, and I didn't find the, um, I didn't find my, my online gambling statistic and odds uh, website until this morning at about 5.30 a.m. That, uh, that last little piece came together. But, but funny how the Holy Spirit works. My last point of the message is this, go all in. <laughs> So I, I look, you know, God works in mysterious ways. You know, I had a gambling reference in the middle of my message, didn't even know it. And now I found all my, you know, pro-life stuff on a, on a gambling side. And, and so it's funny, the providence of God and how he works stuff out. But this is my challenge. 
is to go all in. What does that mean? What does it mean in life to go all in? Well, it's about a next level of dedication. It's about not being so casual. Guys, we can be really casual in different things in life. We can be very casual in certain relationships. I remember a time in my life, Jennifer loves this story, where I was too casual about our dating life. And, and, and she called me out on it. And she backed me into a corner. And she asked me a question. She said, what are we? I said, I don't know. We're having fun. I was like 19, you know, I'm like, we're hanging out. What do you mean, what are we? She's like, what are we? I need to know, what are we? Because sometimes you act like you're my boyfriend and sometimes you act like you're just my friend. So what are we? I said, I don't know. I said, you want me to make a decision right now? She's like, yes, right now. And so then I like bristled up a little bit. I'm like, so if you're gonna back me into a corner, I said, if I gotta make a decision right now, I guess we're nothing. She said, okay. So, you know, I went and called my best buddy. I said, hey, man, we're hanging out, shooting some pool. I said, I just want to let you know me and Jennifer broke up. He's what? I said, yeah. She backed me in a corner, made, made, made me choose. She, made, she pushed me up against the wall, made me choose. And I said, you know, if we got it, if we got to choose right now, I guess we're nothing. And he's like, this is my best friend. He goes, are you? It was, the, it was back in the 90s, so you could use different words that you can't use anymore. I won't tell you what, you'd laugh if I did. But anyway, he's like, are you? Anyway, a not politically correct word. And he's like, Joel, she, you love her. She's the best thing that's ever happened to you in your whole life. He goes, you've never, she's the best girl you've ever been with. She's the smartest, she's the funnest, she's the best. You love her, Joel. She's the one. I said, what? He goes, she's the one. And he goes, and if you can't see that, you're too stupid to be my friend. It's a real friend. I said, well, okay, what should I do? He goes, go get her back right now. So Jennifer loves that. I go crawling back to her and beg her back and whatever and tricked her and bribed her and now she has to suffer for the rest of her life, you know. But anyway, um, it's about being fully committed. See, if, if you're half in, half out, you're gonna miss a lot in life. If you're half in, half out, you're gonna, lo you're gonna lose stuff in life because you're not all in. It, it's about your devotion. I got a couple just quick little things you can do. It's about your daily devotion. What what does your daily devotion look like with God? What are your daily disciplines look like with God? I heard it said like this one time: the most important things in your life you do daily. Daily. If your hygiene is important, and I hope it is, daily. Some of you that love investments, and you've got you got money in the market. How often do you look at it? Day, one, one of my friends, it's all day long. It's, I mean, he's a trader. It's all day long, all day long, all day long. It's important to him. It's daily. It's by the minute. But for me, my girls, I don't ever want a single day go by that I don't tell my girls I love them, look them in the eyes, give them a big hug, big kiss. I, it's daily. It's, it's one of the most important things in my life. How daily is your devotion? How daily are your disciplines to God? I'm not saying these things to make anyone feel guilty or condemned or anything. I'm only saying these things to challenge you. God is looking for people that'll be fully committed and he wants to strengthen them. He wants them to have the opportunity to be vessels of honor. And, and listen, I'm not saying you need to go pray 14 hours a day, but if you're on 13, maybe bump it up a notch. I don't know. And we can all go a little further, but if 10 minutes is a challenge, go get there, step it up. Find a next level. 
Go all in. If there are things in your life that need to go away, let them go away and make God priority. If there are hobbies that are taking you away from God, let that thing, put that thing on pause. And if there's a relationship that's pulling you away from God, put that thing on pause. If there's a girl, if there's a guy, single folk, and that person is not gonna help you be closer in your relationship with God, they're not the one. They're not the one. How about your determination? Daily determination to be the best version of yourself to glorify him. See, how you run your business glorifies him, or it doesn't. How you, how you work for your boss glorifies him, or it doesn't. How you treat your staff glorifies him, or it doesn't. What about a daily, I mean, Jesus, Jesus made it so easy. In the, in the Jewish culture, there are 600 and I believe 63 different laws to follow. But Jesus, Jesus broke it down into one word, love. In fact, he said, if you'll just love God and if you'll love people, you'll fulfill all of the laws. All 663 can be fulfilled with one word. What if all you did is say is daily, Father, show me how to love people. Show me someone to show your love to every single day. What if that was it? What, what if it's, you're, you're, show me how to love my spouse better today. Show me how to love my kids better today. Show me how to, just random people. I'm, I'm talking about very, very practical. What if, what if all you did different was every single person you see, you looked at them and tried to release the love of Jesus to them? What, what, if, what if you actually gave people, do you know how many people walk past, walk past people and never even look them in the eye, never even address them, never even greet them? Do you know how many people feel invisible in this world? What if all you did different was everyone you come in contact with, you tried to express God's love to them in some form or fashion? What if you begin to ask God, hey God, will you show me the good things in other people? Will you show me something good about the people that I run into throughout my day? Can I tell you, if you saw, if God were to do that one thing, I can't tell you how many times that that's a part of my personal life. Father, show me the good in people. It's so easy to find the bad, isn't it? But show me the good in people. And that's one of the number one things that I personally use. And I say it like this, hey, I have a special gift. My gift is to see great things in people. Can I tell you what I see in you? You know how many people have said no? Everybody wants to know what's great about them. Just a little trick the Lord showed me. And next thing, the next thing that happens is now I'm prophesying over somebody. I'm telling them what I see in them based on what the Holy Spirit is showing me about them. And it changes people's lives because so many people are starving, starving, starving. They've, you guys are in a church that literally you've got an incredible worship set and you've got a pastors and, and teachers and people that dedicate dozens of hours a week to hear God, to bring you an encouragement. There are people out there that don't have any of that. And if you would just sprinkle a little bit of love, you can change someone's world. It's the little stuff. It doesn't have to be something crazy. You don't have to have the story that like me, that I walked away from a career. You don't have, that doesn't have to be your story. Just start with loving people. Just start with a little extra devotion. Just a little, a little more, just pushing a little more. Because he's looking for those that are fully committed. He already picked you. Can I tell you, you could go about it the hard way or the hard way. I'd love to tell you there's an easy way. But the reality is, if you're gonna give a little more, it's gonna get hard. And the other reality is if you're stubborn, you're gonna keep bumping your head. It's gonna be hard. So you might as well just go all in. You might as well just go in a little bit more.
and let the Holy Spirit begin to lead you into a deeper place with him. The rewards are incredible. Rewards are incredible. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would draw right now people to you. Father, your word says that no one comes to you unless they are drawn by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you draw people to you right now? Draw people to you right now. You may be sitting there and feeling like, man, I'm, I'm far away. You, you might be watching online feeling like you're far away from God. There's no way. And I'm telling you today that you're, you're never too far away for God to pull you close. There's no mistake you could ever make it's so big that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can't wash away your sins and make you right with him in an instant. The Bible says if you're faithful to confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive you of your sins. And it starts with a simple word, yes. Just saying yes to God. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ, if anywhere across this room or anywhere watching online right now, if you're far from God and you wanna draw closer, you feel like you may be off the path and you wanna draw close all across this room right now, just say the word yes with me. It starts with a yes. And now everyone in this room, if you just pray this with me, say, Father, I wanna be close to you. I need you in my life. Forgive me for my sins. Make me clean. Today I put you first. I'm going all in. I'm giving you my life. Jesus, you're my Lord, my master, my savior. I believe you died for my sins and I believe you rose again. Today I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, that's an amazing decision. Anyone in this room that prayed that prayer, if you made that decision, that's an incredible thing. And it's something to celebrate. And in fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, if you'll acknowledge me in front of people, I'll acknowledge you in front of the Father. That's what he said. So I just wanna give you that opportunity. You, you may be the answer to prayer. Someone around you has been praying for you. And this may be their answer to prayer and something to celebrate. And it's also for sure something to celebrate that Jesus would acknowledge your name because you're acknowledging him in front of people. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything except raise your hand when I count to three, that's it. Just to say, you know what, Joel, I got, I got back with God today. I came back to God today. That's it, that's all you're doing. I'm not gonna ask you anything else. This is not a trick. But if that's you, I just wanna give you the opportunity for Jesus to vouch for you and for us to celebrate with you, amen? You gave your life to Christ. You came back to him today, one or the other. Ready? One, two, three, go. Anybody in the room? Anybody here today? We got one right over there. God bless you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll if you need anything at all, we want to help you, want to connect with you, just go to the desk out there and we'll get you a Bible if you need one, anything we do to help. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, Thanks for listening and have a great week.